Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. And hello and good morning. You're on Dirt Radio with Colin and Rebecca. We are broadcasting live from 3CR Studio in Collingwood. Dirt Radio is a show sponsored by Friends of the Earth Melbourne. So check us out on www.4.org.au. How are you doing, Rebecca? I'm very well, thanks, Colin. And you? Yeah, great. Did you have a good week? Yeah, it's been a great week. How's thanks. the pregnancy going? It's good. We're getting close to the end. Do, do, do. <laughs> so, the latest news coming out from America this week in New York is that the Attorney General has opened an investigation into ExxonMobil to determine if the world's largest oil company misled the public and its shareholders about the risks and reality of climate change in the 80s and 90s. The investigation follows published reports based on internal documents suggesting that Exxon, now ExxonMobil, incorporated climate research into its business practices and it discovered the Earth's atmosphere was indeed warming. However, they then argued in newspaper ads and public statements that climate change science was murky and unsure. This information has outraged many people, especially at the thought of how far it set us back in the fight against global warming. So this led Rebecca and I to start talking about uh, the impact of the meat and dairy industry also has on climate and how little is mentioned in the media. So Reb told me that our meat consumption was one of the major causes of climate change. I've done a bit of research and I discovered the campaign Less Meat, Less Heat, funded by Mark. Mark is with us today and we'll be able to ask him all our questions and open the discussion about this cultural taboo. Hey Mark, how are you doing? Hi Colin, hi Rebecca, thanks for having me on. I'm doing well, how are you? Great, it's a pleasure to have you here. So you're the founder of the local campaign Less Meat, Less Hit, and you're based here in Melbourne. Could you tell us a little bit who you are and how did you start the campaign? Sure, I'd love to. Um, so I've been uh, coordinating campaigns with uh, 350.org and, and also originally, um, I guess, cut my teeth in climate um, climate change activism with um, Beyond Zero Emissions, the local group here in Melbourne. Um, and it was, once I got on this track of climate activism, I also picked some subjects in my postgraduate study at the University of Melbourne around climate science, because I figured if I'm going to campaign in this area, I need to understand it pretty thoroughly. So I in, during those subjects, it, it always sort of bugged me that we, with this kind of myopic, narrow focus on fossil fuels, and I thought, yeah, sure, like we've got so many other like, sources of emissions, and if we only focus on fossil fuels, surely that's got to have some consequences further down the track. And I tested this uh, hunch that I had in my in my, in my um, postgraduate studies with different climate models. We looked at the future. We thought, okay, let's say all, let's say we win, we transition to renewable energy in 10, 20 years. What does the future look like? 
And with rising meat consumption around the world, the climate model showed me that actually we still we still go over the edge in terms of uh, we still pass two degrees. We we go into what would would be considered catastrophic climate change. That really that planted the seed a few years ago. And once you know something, you can't unknow it. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. always in the back of your mind. And you have to do something about it. So I kind of, I, I kept going and I had conversations with people, what about livestock? And no one really talked about it, so I kind of went on with it. And it wasn't really until I came across the documentary Cowspiracy that it really brought that back to the front of my mind. And I realized, hang on, there's still no one doing anything about this. There's still no one looking at this. All the facts um, hold up. I stayed up till 4 a.m. after watching that documentary looking at all the all the papers that um, the statistics were, were based on and it all stood up and it all made sense and I thought okay I can't go back to doing what I was doing something has to give I have to do something about this and I looked at starting this campaign under 350.org wasn't no one was really interested in supporting me with that and I looked at starting this campaign under other organizations and I was just getting frustrated getting nowhere and um after having many conversations with friends and family, I my mum just said, "Look, no one else is doing this. Start it on your own." So, That's great. listen to your mum. <laughs> um, so, there's quite a lot of stigma around a plant-based diet, with concerns for health and social aspects, such as it being part of people's culture. So, what would you say in response to that? Uh, yep, we're going to be addressing all of those concerns once we launch our campaign with the information on our website. So. Ultimately, what we're promoting is not a vegetarian, not a vegan diet. It's what we call a climatarian diet. And a climatarian diet is defined is basically one that is aware of the carbon footprint of the different food choices we make. So what that will inevitably lead to is a drastic reduction in the consumption of beef and lamb, because that by far has the biggest carbon footprint of all. Uh, and in terms of... So obviously, every... I, Different people have different needs in terms of protein and iron and so forth. So we're going to have all that information on our site. And, and the other thing is this, this, there's a really big misconception around how much uh, protein we actually need. We overconsume protein. Last time I checked, uh, by a factor of two or three, uh, depending on uh, where you are. But we definitely consume way too much protein um, than we actually need. Unless you're a, a bodybuilder, you don't. Uh, most people don't have that big demand for protein. And we, we can cover that pretty easily with a lower meat diet especially, and what we uh, would call a climatarian diet. So for the health, for the health, that's going to be like great. Also, like I had a question regarding like the water. I know that in Australia, 67% of water is used for agriculture compared to 9% for household use. However, people are often more concerned about taking shorter showers than reducing the meat intake. What impact is this having on land and water usage? That's a really good question. We, we live in the driest country on the planet, yet we have one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest livestock sectors in the world. And yeah, obviously in, in that statistic, that perfectly illustrates that point. Um, it, ta- getting people to take shorter showers when we're experiencing during times of drought is excuse the pun but it's dropping the ocean if we're going so the research that we've done in Australia based on uh, Australian Australian um, data is that if you eat a standard a, a hamburger standard beef patty of 100 grams that's the equivalent that's equivalent to 27 to 30 days of uh, daily showers so basically a month of showering wow. so you take shorter showers but if you're eating a hamburger every second day it 
it actually it doesn't do anything. <laughs> it has it has no impact. This this was really highlighted recently in a recent campaign by I don't know if you've heard of the Yes Men um, in California. California is going through a quite a major drought at the moment, and <laughs> I love I love their approach. It's quite yeah, they're humorous. Awesome. <laughs> they're great. They they had a, they've got a campaign out at the moment. They've even got Moby on board. Um, skip showers for beef. <laughs> so if, the the premise is that okay if you if you love your beef then something's got to give. So, you love your beef? Skip showers. <laughs> it's a smelly California. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's fantastic. Regarding the native animals' habitat, I reckon that livestock might have like a massive impact into this, uh, into all wildlife. What do you, do you reckon that something we'll be able like, to cope with or not really? No, not at all. Like, livestock industry is the biggest source of biodiversity loss in the world. In Australia, it accounts for 70, about 75-76% of, um, of deforestation. And in, say, a place like the Amazon, it's more like 90%. Wow. So when you've got the like, massive deforestation um, in various parts of the world, livestock uh, and native wildlife don't have a chance when you've got this industry just eating up more and more land, um, cutting down these habitats, and everyone talks about palm oil. Okay, palm oil is definitely an issue that we should talk about, mm-hmm. but by far the bigger source of deforestation, driver of deforestation, is livestock agriculture. Wow, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and factory farms pollute rivers more than any other industries combined in America. Is this the case in Australia? Depends what um, type of animal you're talking about, you're referring to in factory farms. Um, ultimately, from the perspective of less meat, less heat, our focus is on climate. So we need to drastically reduce uh, how much beef and lamb we consume, uh, w- whether it's factory farmed or not. And there's, there's many other campaigns dealing with factory farming. Um, it's not really the focus of our, um, our campaign. Mm-hmm. But that being said, obviously, we need to move away from factory farming because it's bad for the animals and bad for... Um, bad for the environment as well. So definitely a big source of pollution. Uh, so I can give you maybe some uh, information about Australia. So in Queensland is our biggest uh, produce uh, is the state that produces the most uh, has the biggest beef industry in Australia. Uh, I think last time I checked from MLA statistics, it was about seventy percent of our beef in Australia is produced in Queensland, and you've got you've got acquired it. So we don't have a huge uh, industry for feedlot. Um, feedlot raising of cows. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, it is growing, and who knows, in a decade we might be at a similar level to the States if we keep going with the way we're going. Feedlot, uh, so feedlot uh, raising, it does actually have a big impact on rivers, especially, um, and also the Great Barrier Reef. Some, um, some of the studies that we've reviewed have shown that uh, it's actually one of the biggest drivers of, uh, of, of coral loss. So what happens is farmers, and also the sugarcane industry is partly responsible for this as well, but especially the livestock industry, because what happens is you've, you, you, you got like a, you've got the dry season and the wet season up in Queensland, and during both seasons, basically, farmers try and put on as many cattle as they can um, during the wet season, take advantage of all the grass that's growing because you've got more, more and more rain, and this basically tramples the topsoil, and this... Um, and then, like during the dry season, this it basically turns to dust. And when the wet season comes, all this gets flushed down into the Fitzroy and Burdekin rivers, which go out into the Great Barrier Reef catchment mm-hmm. area. And all that sediment uh, covers up the coral, can't get sunlight, it dies. 
So it's definitely one of the biggest drivers of, and no one really talks about it, one of the biggest drivers I've of I've never heard that before. Totally. Mm. And like some study states that livestock industry produce the pollution and also more than double the warming of the Australia's coal-fired power stations put together. Like, why do you think no one talked about that? Uh, so one of, the, one of the major reasons for this is carbon accounting, how we calculate what is the biggest source of, uh, biggest driver of climate change determines which one you address, obviously. So in terms of uh, carbon accounting, when the UNF, U- United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change and the IPCC were formed in 1992, uh, they decided on, the, they were gonna, so how do we compare the different greenhouse gases? The way they worked this out was using the global warming potential method, and that's how you get that figure of carbon dioxide equivalent. Because you've got different gases. You've got methane, you've got carbon dioxide, you've got nitrous oxide and various others. They all affect the climate in different ways, and they all also last in the atmosphere for different periods of time. So in the case of methane, methane lasts in the atmosphere for around about 12 years. During that time, it warms the climate significantly, and if you calculate it over a 20-year time period, it warms the climate it's 86 to 105 times as powerful at warming the climate as carbon dioxide, Whoa, kilo huge. for kilo. But if you calculate it over a 100-year time frame, it's only 25 to 34 times as powerful as warming the climate. So right now we use a 100-year uh, method of calculating how powerful a greenhouse gas is at warming the climate. And this is problematic because we need to address climate change within the next 10 to 20 years. That's what the climate scientists are telling us. We need to plateau and start reducing our emissions. And... Over a 100-year time period, we're underestimating the impact of methane by a factor of three to four. That's one of the reasons why it's not addressed. The other reason is, once again, carbon accounting. You're not looking at uh, savan- uh, emissions from savanna burning. And yes, there's always that argument that, oh, we need to manage the fire risk. And that's true, but that only represents a small percentage of total savanna burning. That is not even included in the final carbon accounting that Australia submits to the UN. Um, and you've also got, once again, what I mentioned before, deforestation. That's right now, it's classified under land use and land use change. Even though livestock agriculture is one of the biggest drivers of deforestation, they get off scot-free from a carbon accounting perspective. So that leads us to only consider um, the agri- livestock agriculture sector as only about 11 to 18% of uh, overall emissions, when in actual fact, um, it's it's around 50% once you include those other factors that I just described. And that's, uh, that's based on peer-reviewed science. So there was a paper that was published in the International Journal of Climate Change called Neglected Transformational Response. And that's where that 50% figure comes from. It's very sneaky. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a new trend called the paleo diet, which is a diet based on types of foods presumed to have been eaten by early humans, consisting mainly of meat, vegetables and fruit, and excluding dairy or cereal products and processed food. How does this fit with less meat, less heat? Paleo diet's been an interesting one. It's quite new, um, and I personally believe it's a bit of a fad. Uh, there's also, like, when you when you say it's how we used to uh, live uh, pre-agricultural society, it's... Everyone, it, it all like how you used to live pre-agricultural society. It's dependent on where you live. Yeah. So, if you lived in Australia, you're not going to be eating beef or like you're going to be living on kangaroo and fish and wombat. Maybe I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe emu. So it that um, any it, a paleo diet in my eyes should also be 
a local or a local locally sourced diet, which it isn't. Mm-hmm. So if if you're going to live according to true paleo principles, you would only be uh, eating locally produced meat, dairy, um, so on. But from yeah, so how does that fit in terms of less meat, less heat? Um, I'm supportive of the, uh, a certain aspects of the paleo diet. Yes, we need to reduce our consumption of processed food. We need to eat closer to the original form of the food from a health perspective. I'm all for that. But it doesn't mean that you should blindly eat and not considering the carbon footprint of the food choices you make. So you could still have a paleo diet that's still climatarian. It just means that you eat red meat less often and in small quantities. Great. Thanks, Reb. Thanks, Mark. Now it's time to take a short break. And uh, we are back just after with uh, this community announcement. So stay tuned. (laughs) Reclaim Australia and the United Patriots Front are at it again. And they're still using Islamophobia to divide us. Next, they'll blame unionists, First Nations people, women, LGBTIQA people, people of colour, the list goes on. They've organised another rally to promote their hate speech and we're going to stop them. Rally on Sunday, November 22nd to remind these thugs that they'll always lose in Melbourne. For more information and to get details on the rally, text subscribe to 0422 726 843. The campaign against racism and fascism is a 3CR supporter. Workers United, never be defeated. Workers United, well overcome. And you're back on Dirt Radio, show sponsored by Friends of the Earth. You're with Colin, Rebecca and Mark. Mark is the founder of the campaign Less Meat, Less Heat and is currently working to reduce climate change by helping and empowering people to have less meat in the diet. So just before we're talking about climatarian, could you describe exactly what's the spirit behind this, um, this diet? What do you mean by what is the spirit? Uh, uh, w- how can I become a climatarian? Okay, so the first... First step, <laughs> um, when we launch, we're going to have all the tools necessary to, to help people make this transition. Uh, we want to help people, uh, support people with recipes. We want to organize cooking classes. Um, going to have, hopefully, some celebrity chefs get on board and, and, be, and, and showing people how they can make this change in a very easy way. It's not something that's hugely difficult. So we, we also want to launch with a challenge we're going to call the Climatarian Challenge. This is going to go over a, a period of about 30 th- a month. And it's going to be um, really social. You can compete with your friends and family. Essentially, what you'll start with is you'll start with a carbon budget, your own personal carbon budget, um, carbon food print, um, whatever we want to call it, whatever we decide to call it. And over the course of the month, every time you have a meal, you just whip out the, the Climatarian app and you go, okay, I had lunch, I had a chicken sandwich, medium-sized chicken sandwich. Minus 20 points. There's going to be the amount of points that's deducted is going to be equivalent to the carbon footprint of that food, and and that will really drive that point home. In that will really raise the awareness. So when people, when someone says, "Oh, I had a steak last night," oh, that's a quarter of my monthly carbon budget gone. Holy crap! Well, that's that high. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It's uh, in terms of say a kilo of chicken, a kilo of beef, uh, carbon footprint of a kilo of beef is about 70 kilos of carbon dioxide equivalent, whereas a, a kilo of chicken um, is about one for one, so one kilo of carbon dioxide equivalent. So it's huge, 70 times more. Wow. <laughs> Massive. So do you have uh, a general guidelines? For uh, yep. So 
So yeah, during the the climatarian challenge, that will really um, drive raise the awareness and drive that behaviour change home, and with with our support, obviously. In terms of uh, guidelines, it's not as like obviously it's not as strict as vegetarian or vegan, but um, it will probably be based on what our what the research that we're working on right now. So moving towards that diet that's compatible with a safe climate. Last uh, yeah, so according to WHO calculations and the climate models I've looked at, um, it's around about 90 grams of meat per day, which is and in terms of red meat, it's equivalent to a standard portion, standard serving of red meat per week. The problem is we don't eat standard serving sizes. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the, 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 uh, so according to Vic uh, Health, the, the recommended portion size of red meat of beef or lamb is about 65 to 70 grams, whereas a typical steak is 300 grams. Wow. So, <laughs> so if you're going to have a steak once a month, if you're actually going to stick with a standard serving once a week. But this big idea of like eating a steak is how trying to have like the bigger steak and trying to finish it, you know, like what's your, what do you think about that? How do you going to be able to, to, to base your campaign and trying to, to change like the normal punter to just like reduce the quantity of his meat because this is what we do here in Australia. Yeah, you can ha still have the big steak, just make it a special occasion. And, and that way you can actually anticipate it more and you can find the best place that's got the best grass-fed uh, beef and you, you can make it a special occasion and it makes it special <laughs> rather than just having something that you have every second, third day rather than just going to some pub for like a $15 steak night where it's kind of average. But yeah, make, make it a special occasion, make it a delicacy and that, that is also like good from a taste perspective and good for the climate. We need, to th we need to consider the climate in this very crucial time if we want to have any chance of surviving um, the next 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah, great. Sounds good. Um, so where can people find out more information and where to for the future for Less Meat, Less Heat? Sure. Uh, so probably because we haven't actually launched yet, uh, our website is pretty spartan. <laughs> it's just a, a ba pretty basic holding page. So if you go to www.lessmeatlessheat.org, uh, have a look at the information there. You've got the references. There's not much there. Although in two, two to three weeks' time, we are launching a somewhat more comprehensive interim website, which is not going to be our final full website, mm -hmm. but it's going to have more information in time for... Uh, for Paris uh, climate talks, which we're going to be attending. So f uh, I'd recommend uh, f for now, go on our website. Uh, if you click on the Facebook uh, link at the bottom, we'll take you to our, our Facebook page. Like us on Facebook. We've got a social media team, uh, Lucy and Eve, who are doing some amazing work, uh, just keep keeping people informed. And uh, we're going to be communicating with them and sharing um, all our learnings and photos and whatever else is going on at Paris and moving forward. So like us on Facebook and you can stay, we can keep informed that way. Great. Thank you very much, Mark, for today. Guys, Thanks for having me on. It's definitely, that was so interesting and I'm definitely going to like really speak important. more to my friends and trying to help you guys to like to launch this campaign and make it like as, as big as possible because we definitely, everyone need to take action for, to counter climate change. Yeah, individuals can make a difference. Yeah, they can, and 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 so much bigger difference. And so people thought, oh yeah, you change a light bulb, that's great. It it has such a small impact. Whereas 
cutting down your red meat consumption has, has such a massive impact. And we're going to be able to show people, like with uh, carbon calculators and so forth, it's, such, it's, it's the biggest thing you can do to help the climate from a personal perspective. So to get more info and to take action uh, yourself, guys, so go on Facebook and look for Less Meat, Less Heat. Or check the website at www.lessmeatlessheat.org and you can also support this wholesome work by telling your friends. And now what's co what's coming up in Melbourne Environmental Hub for this week, Colin? So this week, the Friends of the Earth Anti-Nuclear Collective, ACE, is organizing the screening of containment. Containment is a wholesome movie. It's talking about the storage of long-life nuclear waste all around the world and how we're going to be able to hold that for the next 100,000 years when people will be different, civilization will have changed, maybe not using the same you know, um, language and, uh, and writing. So that will be on Wednesday, the 11th of November at Loop in the CBD at 7 p.m. So please hurry up, go on internet uh, because it still only have a handful of tickets available. So for all the info, you go on the Facebook event, Containment, Special Melbourne Screening, or you go on the ACE Collective page. That's it for Dirt Radio for another week. We're here next Monday, same place, same time. And Dirt Radio is affiliated with Friends of the Earth, Melbourne. So go to the website at www.fo.org.au and support our kick-ass campaign with a donation. Now you stay with WCR for Black Block coming right up. <laughs>